can be a bit of a dirty word dependence, can't it? For some reason, we just often don't like the idea of it. Um, growing up here in Hartlepool, I couldn't tell you the amount of times I heard people say, say things like, oh, no, I wouldn't want to be a burden. Um, like in response to, oh, I can give you a lift if you want. and Oh, no, I wouldn't want to be a burden. Or, or I, can, I can babysit so you can have a nice night out. Oh, no, I wouldn't want to be a burden. Um, what's beneath that is a reaction against being dependent on someone. We don't want to need other people. Um, or we don't want to put on them. That's something else that we say, isn't it? We want to be independent. We don't want to feel dependent. And we can talk about dependence negatively in other ways too. So, so sometimes people talk about emotional dependence. And most often when they're talking about that, they're describing a negative thing. We, when we say someone's emotionally dependent, we're saying that that person can't stand on their own. That they can't hold it together. They're dependent emotionally on someone else. Without that person, they'd fall apart. And so very often when we talk about dependence, we're talking about something that people should try to break free from. Independence is the goal. We don't want to rely on others. We want to be self-sufficient. Dependence can be a dirty word. And so it might come as a surprise that here at Grace Church, we have dependence at the heart of one of our seven values as a church. Dependent in prayer. That's the value. As a church, we have um, seven values, seven aspirations for, for what we want our church to be like, all rooted in, in what the Bible says churches should be like. And we're in the middle of a series at the moment looking at our values through the lens of the book of 2 Corinthians in the Bible. Now, 2 Corinthians is a letter written in the first century by a man called Paul. And we're looking at seven specific sections of that letter that he wrote to see how Paul called that church to embody these seven values that we have um, as a church. And, and this, week, this week we're thinking about dependence in, in prayer. And we're going to particularly focus on what Paul says about being dependent. Let's dive in, shall we? Um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, the Bible's on the table, and um, it's on page 1161. If you want to turn there and read along with me. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Page 1161. And I'm going to be reading from kind of halfway down that first column on that page, uh, verse 7. Um, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. 
all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me pray for us as we look at that. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who are dependent in prayer. But for that to happen, we need to know that we are dependent. And often we don't feel it. So I pray that as we look at your word today, that you'd help us to grow in dependence. Amen. So as I said, uh, 2 Corinthians is a letter. And so it's good to ask the question, why is Paul writing this letter? Whenever um, we read one of the letters in the New Testament, this is a really good question to be asking. Because when we read a letter like this, it's like having access to one side of a, of a telephone call. You have to kind of look through the letter for clues as to why the letter is being written. Because um, you, you see what Paul is writing to them, but you don't necessarily hear what they're saying back. Now, Paul has a, a long-term relationship with this church. Years before the letter was written, he had travelled to Corinth, and he, had, uh, he was the man who founded this church. But, since founding it, his relationship with the church has been a little bit up and down. He's written another letter previously, 1 Corinthians, um, and in that letter, we see that the church has experienced some pretty amazing things. But we also see that as a church, like any church, it's not been without its issues. Some of the issues have been pretty major and Paul has tackled them head on. And now Paul is writing to them again. And it seems that his, his relationship with this church is now at a, a pretty low point. And the reason that it's at a low point is this. Some new leaders have come into the church. And these leaders that have come into the church are pretty impressive. They're, they're eloquent. They give brilliant talks, apparently much better than the talks that Paul gives by his own admission. Paul wasn't a particularly dynamic, particularly charismatic speaker. And so they've, they've wowed this church. They've been telling the church about all the kind of amazing things that they've achieved in their ministry. Paul calls these uh, teachers that have come into the church so-called super apostles. But there's a problem with them. You see... Charisma, giftedness, eloquence, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. But these super apostles are using the power of their personality, not for good, but bad. We had a hint of this um, in a passage that we looked at the other week. So look with me at chapter 2, uh, verse 17, just the page before, um, where it says, um, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, we... we in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And so there's the sense that these super apostles are in the ministry for the money that they can get. And they're succeeding in taking in the Christians in Corinth. They've, they've, the Christians there have bought into these new impressive uh, leaders. 
But this is uh, problematic on a deeper level too. Just flick forward with me to chapter 11. And page 1165. And have a look with me down at verse 4. It says, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Now this is Paul's deepest concern for the church. The church is being led away from Jesus. These so-called super-apostles are twisting the message. And with their, their showy talks and their winsome personalities, they're pulling the Christians in Corinth away from Jesus. And therefore, they're pulling them away from the source of life and hope and forgiveness and relationship with them. Paul knew how serious this was for the church. And that's why he's writing this letter. Now, imagine for a minute, that you were writing this letter to the church, given the situation that's going on. What would you say? How would you convince the church to listen to you rather than to these super apostles? What kind of things might you say? Maybe you'd remind them that you're the one that founded them. They only exist because of you. Maybe you'd point to all your credentials. Don't you know that I'm the man who met Jesus on the road, got that blinding light, that I was commissioned to, to plant churches? Don't you know how many churches I've planted? You should be listening to me. Maybe you'd point out all the miracles you'd been involved in. How someone touching your snotty tissue led to them being healed. Paul could have done all of this. That's where I would go if um, I was going to bolster my credentials and get this church to listen to me again. And one, of the, one or two of these things he does kind of briefly mention in passing. But the overwhelming weight of this letter that he writes to the church is not about these things at all. In fact, he surprisingly does quite the opposite. Paul takes a lot of this letter to remind the, two, the, the, the church there just what Christianity is really like. He reminds them that this showy, sparkly, glittery message that they're hearing is not real Christianity. It doesn't follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And if I was going to sum up the kind of central thing that Paul says to them in this letter, the central thing that um, Christian, the Christian life should look like, I would sum it up in one word. Dependence. We could turn to... Uh, loads of places in 2 Corinthians to see this. We could look at the opening words where Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. That's where we start. The Christian life is one of troubles, and we depend on God for comfort. We could turn to some of the examples of where Paul recounts some of the difficulties that he's been through as he's followed Jesus, the beatings, the imprisonments, the riots, the sleepless nights, the hunger, and how he's had to rely on God in these moments. Like later on in chapter 1, where after describing some of the hardships they've faced, Paul said, this happened that we might rely on, not on ourselves, but God. Dependence. We could turn to chapter 12, where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. That persistent problem that means he is tormented and constantly aware of his frailty as he goes about life. 
where Paul concludes with these famous words. He says, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This letter is full of examples of Paul putting his weakness on display for all to see. The Christian life is one of dependence. And these super apostles with their, their shiny, showy Christianity don't need to depend on God. Or so they think. But in the end, that will get them nowhere. Let's focus in now on chapter 4. And as we do, let me ask you some questions. Do you ever feel weak? Are you ever aware of your own fragility? Do you ever feel that the things that you're faced with in life are are beyond your abilities? Or, or do you ever feel so overwhelmed by a situation that you just feel like you could crack at any moment? Let me ask you that specifically if you're a Christian here today. Do you ever uh, find yourself looking around at the Christians that you know and comparing yourself to them? Or are, are you ever aware of how others seem to know so much about the Bible and how often you don't really get what's going on and, and you feel out of your death. Or, or you look at how much that person does, how she seems to be involved in so many people's lives, or how he constantly seems to be reading a new Christian book or listening to a new podcast, and, and they just seem to be so active in pursuing their growth as a Christian. In comparison, you feel weak. Or maybe you look at your life and you're aware of the, the struggles, the temptations that you struggle with. And you feel just a hair's breadth away from, from giving in to sin, from, from turning your back on Jesus, from indulging in that, that fantasy or, or in selling out in that area. You just feel weak, fragile. If that's you, then, then let me tell you something. What you experience, every um, true, true Christian experiences sometimes, in any number of ways. Weakness is the way if you're a Christian. We all feel that way. I, I certainly feel that way a lot of the time. I'm all too aware of my weaknesses. And, and Paul recognises this. Which is why he uses the picture that he does in verse 7. Flick back to chapter 4. Jars of clay. That's the image he uses. It's a, it's a brilliant image because it, it describes so well the experience of being a Christian. We have jars of clay. Jars of clay were like the carrier bag of Paul's world. They were to a penny. Nothing special about them. Um, you don't look at them and think, wow, there's, there's nothing attractive, nothing remarkable about them. That's what Paul is like. He's not a super apostle. He's not shiny. He's not impressive. He's a jar of clay. And so are you. So am I. And another characteristic of a jar of clay is this. They are incredibly fragile. 
drop them and they shatter. Knock them over and they break. Perhaps that resonates with you. Because, yet again, Paul is describing the normal Christian experience here. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily we're all just a slight knock away from an emotional breakdown all of the time. Because that's blatantly not true, although it is true sometimes, and it's important to recognise that. But despite that, we are still weak. You'll see that when you recognise how a passing comment can sometimes be so crushing. How um, dejected we can feel when someone criticises us. Or on the flip side, when you, when you pour yourself into something and no one says anything, no one seems to notice, and you just feel deflated. You can see it how we are sometimes sent into a spin when we're asked to do something out of our comfort zone. You see it when you um, feel out of your depth in a situation and all you want to do is retreat as the drawbridge goes up and we go into defensive mode. You see it in the ways that you wish you were like someone else. Maybe you're an introvert and, and the thought of seeing people again is exhausting and you just wish you were more extrovert, able to be around people all the time and to come out feeling energised. Or maybe you see it when you look at your emotional fragility. The way that you constantly seem to be losing sleep over things that others would consider minor. Or the way things shake and rattle you, which you know other people were just taking their stride. But you can't help but overthink it and you don't know how to stop. We feel fragile, we feel weak. We feel like a jar of clay, unimpressive. And it wouldn't take much for us to break. Paul goes on to unpack this experience of being a, a, a jar of clay. Look with me at verse 8. It says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We feel weak like a jar of clay when we feel overwhelmed. It's when these things that have been describing press in on us from every angle. We feel that pressure to, to give in to sin. And, and then the weight of expectation of others... And we feel conscious of how ill-equipped we are or, or, or how we're not strong enough to do the things that we're called to do. All of these come at us from every angle and the walls feel like they're closing in. And we just think, can I really do this Christian thing? How can I keep going? We are hard-pressed. Here's the thing. The fact that you're asking the question shows that you're not close. However weak you feel, God keeps you going. And then he goes on, verse 8, perplexed, but not in despair. Sometimes we just don't understand how we've ended up where we are. How have I ended up giving in to that sin again? Why has God put me in the position of sharing the gospel with that person or in that situation? Why is living life with these people sometimes just so hard? We're confused. We don't understand ourselves. We don't understand what God is doing. That's part of being a jar of clay. Perplexed, but not in despair. We know that despite all the questions, God is real. He is there and he is good, even though we don't understand him right now. Even though we don't know why life is as it is. Verse 9, persecuted, but not abandoned. Now many Christians around the world feel this more deeply than we do. Imprisoned. 
away from their families, publicly humiliated, conscious that, the poten- that potentially following Jesus could le- lead to their death. That's enough to make you feel weak. But we can feel this too in, in more subtle ways. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family or, or workplace and you just feel different or maybe you're made to feel different. Or perhaps you feel unable to speak up about what you believe for fear of saying something unpopular. that Something that might incite the outrage of others or even just the cold shoulder. The sense that we're somewhat out of touch. That we hold opinions that aren't accepted in this day and age. But we're not abandoned. We're not on our own. God stands with us when we stand with him. Then verse 9 again. Struck down, but not destroyed. Sometimes uh, the Christian life can feel like being in a boxing ring. Blow after blow comes and it becomes too much and we feel knocked down, unable to fight any longer. We just can't hold it together. Perhaps you're there right now. Perhaps that's your experience as a Christian. You may well feel knocked down. But you're not knocked out. The count isn't over and God will not let you be destroyed. I realise that's all pretty downbeat. (laughs) But it's important to say, because it's so easy to have a glossy image of the Christian life. The Christians in Corinth needed to hear this, because there's no doubt that they'll be feeling it. Hearing that the real Christian experience is the life that they experience will show them that the, the message that these super apostles are bringing is empty. They needed to hear it, and we need to hear it too. We need to hear that the reality of the Christian experience is very often feeling like a jar of clay. If you feel weak, and I hope you've heard this because you're not the only one, but it's this very weakness that drives us to dependence. Look where Paul goes in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show us that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Our weakness has a purpose. And that purpose is dependence. We are weak, so we need God. We need him. I don't know about you, but I'm never more driven to prayer than when I feel weak. The more you are aware of your weakness, the more you recognise your need for God. It's when we are aware of our weakness and our fragility that we are driven to dependence on God. And that's a great place to be. When we are dependent like this, and then when things happen through us, despite our weakness, it's God who gets the glory for those things, not us. We're just weak. He's done it through us. Imagine someone walking into church for the first time and they see a bunch of, of together, sorted, strong, polished, capable people. Now, there's no chance of that in Grace Church, thankfully, but just try and imagine it for a minute. How would that person walking in feel? 
they either feel like they don't belong, because they're aware of their weakness, or they'd end up being super impressed and awed by the people that they see in front of them. But who isn't part of that picture either way? God isn't. But that's not how churches are designed. Churches are filled with weak people like you and me. And so, when others come in, they aren't intimidated. Rather, they see a bunch of weak people. And then when they see great things happen, they wonder, how could this be? How could so much good be going on amongst such a bunch of weak people? And pretty soon, they get drawn to the God who is behind it all, using weak people to do wonderful things. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The reality is this. We are all dependent. We may not know our own hearts well enough to recognise that. We may not be aware enough of our own frailty to see it. But it's true. We are dependent on God for our next breath. We're we're dependent on him to to keep us going as Christians. We're, We're dependent on him to see any fruit in us or through us. The more aware of that that we are, the more we will be driven to God in prayer as we express our dependence and our reliance on him. That's the kind of people that we need to be. That's the kind of church that we want to be. Dependent in prayer. As Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians, when we are weak, then we are. And so, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to feel free to admit that you're weak. To admit that you're a jar of clay. And if you don't feel that way, then my prayer is that you, you would become aware of it. Because you are that way. And it's only when you become aware of it, only when you're brought to the end of yourself, that you are driven to dependence. And then you get to experience the joy of seeing God at work, of recognising him at work, and giving him the glory for the work that he does. Each of us needs to see that as individuals. And we need to see it as a church as well. We want to be a church that is dependent. And so we want to be a church that prays. Let me try and just paint a picture of why Grace Church needs to be dependent. Just a few things amongst many. We've talked recently about wanting to plant a new church in the next three to five years. That is going to be a a mammoth undertaking. That drives us to dependence. Or think about our work with with CAP. Some of the the people who um, are signposted to us have a level of debt that is overwhelming. And with that, for some, might come social isolation and emotional strain and many other things. Or the work that we do with, say, families. We're getting alongside families that in some areas of life, it's just become too much. And they need support. And they've come to us. (laughs) Who are we to help in these hard, in these painful situations? We have plenty of problems of our own. It's way beyond our ability to help. That should make us dependent. 
I've taken another example. We often talk about living life in community as a church, how our life groups should be like family, where we share life and support one another in the ups and downs of life, where we're there for each other, primarily in the spiritual things, but in the physical, the emotional, the practical things as well. This involves deep involvement in each other's lives. And it comes on top of just some of the practical things about life groups. Cooking, having our uh, our homes open, being sacrificial when we often feel weak and overwhelmed ourselves. And we're only just coping in our own life. We talk about that kind of commitment to living in community. Doesn't that make you feel weak? That should make us dependent on prayer. And then there's how, as a church, we're called to make disciples, to see the gospel go out and go deep in people's lives. It's beyond us. I hope we see that. I hope, I hope we feel it. I hope we feel like a fragile jar of clay when we're faced with all that we're called to do. Because we are. And when we do feel it, it leads to dependence. We cry out to him for help. When we see that, we'll be a church characterised by the, the frequency and the intensity and the genuineness of our prayers because we'll know that we need him. That's what we want. Dependence in prayer. Well, finally, I just want to remind us why all this is worth it. See, we can in life we can we can get so focused on our kind of jar of clayness that we that we forget the whole point of these jars. If I held up a carrier bag right now, you wouldn't be looking admiring the bag. You'd be wondering what was in the bag. That's the whole point of a carrier bag. You'd be wondering what's inside, and that is the point. We may be weak. We may be unremarkable. We may be jars of clay. But the whole point is what's inside. We saw it last week with Michael. Inside us was darkness. But God switched on the light. He shone in our hearts. And he put a light within us. Inside us is a treasure. That's what Paul says. The treasure of the gospel. We know God because we've seen Jesus and we've been united to him forever. Why is it worth struggling on being a Christian when often we feel weak and it's hard? It's worth it because we, re- we receive an incomparable treasure. It's worth it because it means God has switched the light on within us. He's done the, the miraculous work of enabling us to see Jesus, to know him, to know God, and to... to experience the hope and the joy that that brings however weak we are that can never be taken away however frail however close to cracking it doesn't take away that within us god has put an incomparable treasure he's enabled us to know god Kathy and I have a friend uh, called Philippa who is a, a Christian author and for many years now she's struggled with um, a battle with depression and, and, and she writes about her, her struggles and in her writing she exposes 
her, her weakness and her, her fragility in raw and often difficult to read words. But as she does so, she also shows the treasure within. She shows how the knowledge of a God who clings to her and knows her and loves her is all the more precious in the face of her depression. Treasure in a jar of clay. And for her, it really is a treasure. Very often it's all she has to keep her going. And that is true of all of us here today. We are dependent, we are weak, but that doesn't mean we're impoverished. Because in the middle of our weaknesses, we have this treasure within us to cling to and to marvel at. And it makes this jar of clearness, that being hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, knocked down, it makes all of that worth it. I'd rather be a jar of clay with that treasure than anything else. Yes, we're weak. But we're able to depend on the one who's given us so much, who has made us richer than we can imagine. And this pattern that we follow is the pattern of our Saviour, the pattern of Jesus. Just look with me from verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to, the, to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us but life is at work in you. As we experience weakness, as we die a thousand deaths, death, uh, the death of um, reputation, of comfort, of aspiration, we follow in the pattern of a weak saviour who died. But it didn't end with death for him. Through his death came life. Life for him in resurrection, and life for us and for all who trust in him. And these verses say that is our pattern too. As we are weak, as we depend on God, life will, will bubble up, life will explode out. Life in us as we're transformed to be more like Jesus. Life in those around us who, who look to us and see a weak but dependent person and want to know for themselves the God who makes that possible. And they find life as they do so. So if you feel your weakness, don't lose heart. Weakness is the way of a Christian. Cling on to that treasure within you and let your weakness drive you to depend on Jesus and then marvel at the way that he uses you, a jar of clay, to bring life in others. When he does, give him the glory. Don't lose heart at your weakness. And don't lose heart because one day it will end. This weakness that we feel, this, these very real and difficult experience that we have as we follow Jesus will be eclipsed by the life that is ultimately revealed in us. Just look at verse 16. It says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our life and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. You are weak. Let that drive you to dependence, knowing that you have treasure within, knowing that God can use you despite your weakness to bring life, and knowing that you are heading to a future glory that will make your weakness now feel like an insignificant blip on the pages of history. Because what is coming will be so worth it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, please help us to stop pretending that we're strong. Help us to stop pretending that we're sorted. Help us to admit that we're weak. We're fragile. And as we do, please remind us that you can and do work in and through us despite our weakness. When we are weak, then we are strong. Help us to remember that even even though we feel like a jar of clay, that within us, within that jar, is a treasure that is richer than we can possibly imagine. And help us to cling to that knowledge when we feel at our most weak. Lord Jesus, please help us to have our have eyes that see beyond our weakness, see beyond this life to that life that is coming, that will make everything we've gone through in this life shrink to nothing because of how good that future life with you will be. The glory that far outweighs our truth. Help us to really believe that and to live in that life.